Support comes from Bellingham's Whatcom Museum with its historic Hall of Birds. On May 31st and June 1st, hosting bird taxidermist and museum preservationist Alice Markham for a weekend of events and workshops. Details and tickets at whatcommuseum.org. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to 2024. I guess this is our first year in review show. It's just not much year so far to review. This is Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. What will you do as Seattle's newest city council member? Yeah, I'm talking to you. They're taking applications from the public. There's a vacancy because one council member is moving over to the King County Council. I haven't decided whether I'm running. I need to gauge my support. You have until Tuesday to send me campaign donations. Please don't include a return envelope on that. No, I'm not really soliciting money. We'll discuss that new council member, though, in just a moment. Um, I'm going to uh, get at what happened this week with a panel of excellent uh, journalists. We've got political analyst and contributing columnist Joni Balter with us. Hi, Joni. Hi, how are you? Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. GeekWire contributing editor Mike Lewis. Hi, Mike. Hey, Bill. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. we got Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callanan. Brian, welcome. Thank you very much, Bill. Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year to you watching on YouTube. Um, so let's get at this city council of a very new set of legislators. So residents are going to presumably see some changes, a new way of doing things. Uh, and people even outside Seattle won't have the old city council to kick around anymore. So, Joni, <laughs> what can uh, our listeners expect from this crop of mostly newcomers? Uh, a lot of different things. So definitely more peace, love, and understanding among the council members themselves because so many of them agree on, on quite a few things. Uh, the work that will be done this month specifically, job one, and I, I know Brian pointed this out too, uh, they have to fill the vacancy that you referred to and that you may be applying for. Mm-hmm. Um and also, you're going to see a focus on basics. We could have done kind of one of those uh, drinking games on the number of times the newcomers at their swearing in said, uh, mentioned basics, fundamentals, potholes, anti graffiti, meat and potatoes, uh, meat and potatoes. It just was good governance. Uh, and good governance. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I, it was music to some people's ears. I thought it was a good thing. Mm. And the reason for that is that, you know, in the good old days, whenever those were, um, the Seattle City Council was really known for delivering basic services, the city that worked. This is, and not, sorry to say, or maybe not that sorry to say, um, not this sort of um, political activism, uh, resolutions on national and international policy that, that didn't do a darn thing for folks who wanted their government to deliver public safety, uh help the homeless and 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 improve housing or any other sort of basic service. Okay, you make it sound so simple. If they'll yeah. just focus on the stuff that matters, but how how hard is that actually going to be? I think it's going to be difficult for you a few different reasons. I agree with agree with you. This first month is all about figuring out a replacement for Councilmember Mosqueda, who is now on the King County Council. And so there's a lot of focus on that. That person will be seated by the 25th, we understand. So that's going to be happening by the end of the month, and that's going to be very quick, so a lot of focus on that. 
But there were four major goals that Councilmember Teresa Mosqueda, who's an incumbent, who's back now, laid out in the meeting on Tuesday and talking about this. And this was talking about the transportation plan, a huge deal because we've got the big move Seattle levy coming up this fall that funds 30 percent of the Seattle Department of Transportation's budget. Yeah, we can do potholes, but some other constituencies are going to want something, too. So that's going to be something where we'll see some different some differences, I think, emerge among the council members. We're also talking about the comprehensive plan. That's the plan that we have to we have to redo basically every 10 years as a city. And this is something where Councilmember Morales actually has a lot of power here as the new land use chair. We're talking about where density goes, where housing goes, things of that nature. That's a big thing that has to be done by the end of this year. We're also talking about a big budget gap of $200 million plus. Where's that money going to come from? Councilmember Nelson says she's going to be cutting and looking for cuts. Again, a lot of constituencies are going to be working after every dollar there. And then finally, and this one is probably, I think, one of the biggest hurdles to cross is this contract with the Seattle Police Officers Guild, SPOG. Councilmember Morales laid that out as a top priority, too. They haven't had a contract now in three years. And I think as much as the council is talking about law and order and things of this nature, they are going to have an interesting discussion on this one from a lot of different people in our community here who want to see some different measures of accountability from the police department, too. So I wanted to lay those out there because the council did that. I think they have a lot of work ahead of them. It's going to be slow to start, though. I agree. Um, I, I was interested in what uh, council, new council president uh, Sarah Nelson had to say, particularly when it relates to sort of her boys in the boat themed mm. talk about all rowing and maybe moderates in the boat uh, rowing in the same direction. <laughs> right. um, moderates in the boat. Not a, not a not as catchy. At the, not, not, at the box office. Really. I got to say, I'm probably walking past that theater. Right, right. Yeah. But, but, the, but the, her point about, she made two points that I thought were interesting and 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 pretty unexplained one about providing raises um to to cops the weird thing about it is that even the union has not really been arguing about raises it's been arguing about morale almost exclusively about morale and i don't know why if they're giving you that idea and and that's what that's what obviously that's what some of the council members are trying to do right now right they're trying to make it sound like we're hey we're going to work with you we're going to get you a contract all of that but no one was really arguing about salary and their salaries are not bad nor outside the not not misaligned if you look at what people i mean the seattle times has done really terrific work on this there are what was there 300, there, 300 and something I... people on the on, in the in the department who are making better than 200k i mean those are, those are higher ups, but as if morale not is not ups. Is some of those, some of those were people to, actually to getting some getting of those overtime. Were, were overtime yeah, jobs as true. well. That's true. But I, what I'm hearing is the, the, there's going to be a big raise, big big raise in that contract, and I think that that has much to do with the fact that we only have something like 919 uh, officers ready to go, deployable every day, and so you know they're doing all this stuff. The city is to make it. Uh, sort of easier to hire cops. They're letting folks tr- uh, take tests from a distance if they don't live in the area. But, you know, when you get down to it, you really have to pay them to uh, lure them to a city that has, the city council has been hostile. So I'm just telling officers. you, I'm telling you literally law enforcement people that I've talked to, and including the union president who will always argue if you're union president you're oh, Mike Salon you're always going to argue for more money that's part of your job i understand that but literally he said number 1 morale so so if they're telling and, and if they're telling you morale why not address that in your rowing in the same direction speech to the to the council because there is something to be said for that and in fact 
we've when I've talked with law enforcement, I understand what you're saying about, you know, let's throw even more money. Remember, the budget went up by, what was it, $100 million while we're losing officers. Right. So so there's something there that, that if she was to cut funding, I'm not suggesting cutting it from law enforcement. I'm saying that something in the math isn't quite making sense to me right now to offer that as your first idea. And I would agree, Joni, that I think they are going to get a pretty substantial Oh, there, there's boost. no question they're going to yeah, get one. Yeah. It's going to happen. But I will say that just looking over this past year when the Seattle Police Department has really been trying to bring people in with extra dollars, hiring bonuses that are some... How has it worked? It, it hasn't worked all Bingo, that well. Right. That, and, and so that's that's where I look at this, and I think dollars are a part of it, and I think morale is too. How exactly do you improve morale? I, what, what, what do you think? Well, I'll give you one suggestion. It has to do with how the newcomers on the city council speak about the police department because yeah. the previous group didn't speak favorably. And folks were like, well, I don't want to work, work for a city council that doesn't embrace the work I do. Do and we know it, that that's true, though? I, I mean, oh, what if what if morale, oh, absolutely. What if morale yes. goes down when cops are uh, tear gassing and otherwise being abusive? Yes, yes, of course. Like, like, wow, do, do, not, I, do I want to do I want to be part of that organization? But do not underestimate the impact that if if you hear your bosses, essentially, the city council, um, bad-mouthing police, there, it's going to be fewer folks. At the swearing-in, very interesting, one of the new and very exciting members um, of the council, Joy, Joy Hollingsworth, was not afraid to embrace the East Precinct. Mm-hmm. She talked about the history, how the black community wanted the East Precinct. She knows that because she grew up in, in the Central That's District. And it's Absolutely. got an interesting yeah. past to it. So I believe that all these things contribute, but I but I think that you cannot underestimate the way uh, many officers felt when they were diminished by the folks who and I, and pay I, their and salaries. Which was my point. That'd be, I felt like that is really what I... If I I can't speak for her, but that to me seemed like they were there was so much hammering on that particular point about how they felt the defund the police, how they felt about all of the language around it and the support that they got from council that to come out and and just say and we're going to throw more money at it when when throwing more money at it has not actually turned it moved the needle at all. Yeah. I mean, at all. So, so why not talk about these other things? If you want to throw, you're going to throw. I mean, it's a co- police contract. Of course, they're going to get more money. Of course, they're going to get all kinds of additional money for wearing body cams or whatever it else is yeah. that they're negotiating. They've been three years now out of a contract. They need a contract. I get all of that. It just was an odd way to frame the initial push that you were going to make as council president. Yeah, and okay. I guess I guess I would just want to make sure. And to your point earlier, Bill, I think that if the language of accountability is not included within this discussion about totally. police, then we're missing out on something. I think it's important. Yeah, maybe accountability, maybe not laughing at um, you know, cases of where pedestrians officer are run fatalities, over. Yeah. maybe lots of things. Let's talk also about uh, money because you mentioned a budget gap, two hundred million dollars. Uh, and yet I'm hearing some council members talk about wanting to lower taxes for businesses. Does that pencil out? I, I don't see it. Mike, I know you had some thoughts on this, but I, I did read in Sarah Nelson's op-ed about this. Yeah. She is looking for cuts. I think that's a very important part of that. And I don't know exactly how you reckon that, but Mike, what'd you add? So as the probably the only person in this room who pays business taxes, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I pay him. And, and I pay pay him. Him, pays them in downtown, well, Queen Anne, the lower Queen Anne, Seattle. Uh, uptown, actually. Uh, so I understand this by the actual numbers. Everyone wants to pay less in taxes. I get it, and I'm not. And and, and Seattle taxes are not are high. I, I get all of that. I do not think from at least I only know one business really well. That's our that's our tavern. 
I do not think that the amount of money you're paying in city fees and taxes, which can sometimes feel onerous, is in any way a game changer on what decisions I would make about my business. You're, you're making decisions based on lease. You're making decisions based on supply chain. You're making decisions based on employees and employee pay rates. Those are like your. Those are the load bearing pillars. The fact whether yeah, I'm or not, drinking a beer there. What about me? What about your your, well, your income? Well, no, no. He's going to pass yeah, those costs that, on to you. Of you're, course, so you're you're part of that supply chain. Oh, and, supply chain. And I'm sorry, I meant to actually say bill rather yeah. than rather than supply <laughs> One chain. One of the nicest supply chains you'd <laughs> yeah, ever exactly. meet. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. right. Well, so, I, I I'm sorry. No, no, no. But I, all I'm saying is that I don't know from a from a tinkering standpoint, from a city tax standpoint, unless they can provide an incentive that will get. They, she wants to get people back into downtown, businesses back into downtown. That's going to take employees being in downtown, and then you're going to move your business back there. It's also going to take more safety in downtown, and then you're going to move your business back there. I don't know that the city tinkering, unless the city can tinker with some way to make leases less expensive per square foot, yeah. it's going to be a very difficult uh, uh, road to hoe. Well, with respect to that, I just think that even even the rhetoric from the council president, but some action that says we will do something uh, different from the previous council that sort of is supportive of small businesses. Come on back. We're here. We want we want to do what we can to help. And if they lower a tax, that's an action that people can relate to that say, oh, they actually do want me to locate in any neighborhood in Seattle, but especially yeah. downtown. But how much of that is a performative piece rather right, than right. something that's substantial? For I mean, the if, business you're, if you're a business owner, you're you're happy to hear it, but you're not going to move until there's actual numbers in place that actually pencil out for you. Okay, um, we asked our listeners, uh, what do you want from your city council, county council, wherever you are? Um, just, just some very quick hits. The most common refrains, homelessness, crime, slash safety, slash police, and environment. Mike says tax the large businesses and put it into building housing for the unhoused. Kaylee said full transparency and accountability in the homeless supportive services industry. Carrie says for the city of Seattle to become a small business supporter, as we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. Nicole says tree protection and recycling that works. Jim says focus on public safety and policing with adequate funding, as we were discussing. Three more. Nick says making the city safer for pedestrians. Daniel says take steps to aggressively address wealth inequality. In, in Seattle. And Alice says, seriously getting down to work to meet the city's climate goals. And we will discuss the climate here in just a moment. And if you want to be part of KOW's Community Feedback Club, text the word CLUB. Here's the phone number. Here's the, the you're going to send the text to. 206-926-9955. That's 206-926-9955. Text the word CLUB. Um, and so as far as the council vacancy, um, any any predictions? I mean, obviously, Shama Sawant's got to be the front runner. Oh boy, no, oh, yeah. oh, she won't. <laughs> I don't she won't. see that happening. I don't, I don't know that you could call um, <laughs> uh, city council <laughs> candidate um, Tanya Wu the front runner. Uh, that's one name we're all hearing, of course. Yeah. I believe that doesn't make her a front runner. And there's a little problem with with uh, her possible likely candidacy is that she was the opponent in the second district city council district where I live uh, against Tammy Morales. And so would that create tension or could we all grow up and, um, and accept her as a legitimate uh, extra member? And this would be a citywide seat, not a district. This is a citywide seat, but you have to run for it again in the fall. So that's right. It's not for long. And then if you wanted it again, you'd run for it again in 2025. And so I'm interested in this. And I think that Councilmember Morales had some interesting pushback on this. Can you read this as I don't want to be in the same council with my opponent, perhaps. But I think she made the point that 
they're looking for someone with some legislative experience because that is something this council does not have. Mm. We saw the stats. This is something where this is the greatest amount of new council members joining the council here since, since 1911. Since I 1911. Mean, this You're is right. b- even yep. before Bertha Knight Landis. Uh, may she rest in peace. But I, what I'm saying is 1926. Yeah, she's she's lo- they're looking for some sort of experience there to help guide along the process of what they do, which is legislation and make it happen. Tim and, Burgess. Yeah. Nick Licata. I don't know. Yes, Mike. You know, actually, <laughs> I wouldn't mind if if somebody who used to serve on the council was said, I'm not going to rerun. I'm just going to fill this slot, get this group of newbies up to speed on how to actually manage policy. And city. I think I'd be I think that wouldn't be necessarily a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. But I would but I would say this. So when I was back when I was a reporter in California and I had to cover the term endless when California moved to term limits and it was obviously it went through that through the initiative and then through court process, but ultimately it was decided as, as legit. But one of the points that a pl- really bright political scientist made about this, and it does relate to Seattle City Council, is when you get a, an influx of brand new people, the power structure shifts to lobbying. Because there's mm-hmm. that's where all the expertise is, and I'm not yeah. suggesting that they don't necessarily have staffers who know stuff. Because obviously, Judy uh, Sarah Nelson herself mm-hmm. was was a staff person. What I'm saying though is there is an absolute movement of knowledge to the lobbying class mm-hmm. when you don't have people who've been doing it for a while, and that's the one thing that I think the city needs to be cognizant of. The new council members need to be cognizant of because these are and people who know more about policy than you do. And yeah. in this case, there'll be a shift in power toward the mayor who endorsed many entirely. of these folks. Yeah. Entirely. And he is going to have, not only is he going to have a good time, but it's also showtime for him because yep, totally. he cannot complain that the council members aren't doing what he wants because they're going to do a lot of what he wants. Yeah. Okay, I got to keep us on time. It's my New Year's resolution. Before we take a break, <laughs> Seattle got a little more affordable this week. If you have a minimum wage job and you don't get your hours cut, the city's minimum wage for large employers, 500 workers or more, got its annual increase, and it rose from 18 dollars and 69 cents an hour to 19 dollars 97 cents an hour that's higher than any other major city in the u.s yet not as high as tuckwilla 20 dollars and 29 cents an hour in the city of SeaTac, hospitality and transportation workers make 1971 in february renton voters will decide whether to raise their minimum wage to 19 dollars an hour mike i think if seattle is more expensive than those other places how do they decide what's the right minimum wage well, this is a tough one, right? I mean, I mean, if Renton, which is, I think, if you look at all the the various surveys of apartment costs, Renton is in the neighborhood of about four hundred dollars to six hundred dollars less expensive per one average one bedroom apartment than Seattle is. Uh, does that mean that Renton is actually moving its 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 minimum wage into a place that people can more easily afford to live in Renton, or does that mean, and that may be true, or does that mean it should be less than than Seattle's, or should it actually? Should, does that mean that Seattle's actually should be a lot higher than the nineteen dollars because the because both cities have very different costs of living and yet have will have at some point likely uh, identical minimum wages. Yeah. Well, this becomes um, sort of one city chasing the next. But right, remember exactly. uh, when our new laws? Seattle was the first city to go for the minimum wage in twenty fifteen. When our new law took place, it, there were built in escalators, mm-hmm. uh, and so this was prescribed. You know, beforehand, and you don't know what other city is going to leapfrog. And so it's not that comparable. But I will say that three Washington cities that, that we've mentioned here, Tukwila, Seattle and SeaTac, have the highest minimum wage in the country. And wow. so that's that tells you something. It's expensive here, but it it doesn't it doesn't explain. It's more the culture of the place and the beliefs in raising the minimum wage that explain but, why we're in that 
to- category. Com- completely. And yeah. the cities that are going to actually probably be affected and, and have to move are the cities directly adjacent. When you yeah. can live in Kent, right, and then just decide, hey, I could get a job in Kent or I can get a job in, in Renton. Renton and make $4 more an hour, potentially, you're going to do it. Right. And I know there have been a lot of different studies about what happened to Seattle when the minimum wage continued to go up. Yep. Right. And, and I don't – it didn't wreck the economy. I think that's pretty clear. <laughs> I don't think – Absolutely not. But does it raise the cost of living, raise the cost of doing business, increase how much you can afford if, you're, if your wage went up? doesn't help you if you don't have a minimum wage job or your hours got cut. That's true. And I, I think it, it – it basically what I saw out of this was something that – both sides of this argument kind of both kind of got some fodder on this whole thing in terms of what it did. I think the people who said raise that wage, people had more money in their pockets and they did not lose jobs. That was the whole point of it. And they said, hey, great work. It also happened in New Jersey. I know there's a study out there, too. But then there was the other side of it, uh, the actual uh, hours or employment. There, there was some concern there that some of those hours may have been cut in some ways uh, for some of these minimum wage earners. So I, I think there was a little bit of a concern there. But I guess I was looking at this, too, this period we're talking about in between 2015 and 2020 was such a massive time of growth in the Seattle area that mm. when you talk about what happened with the economy, did the minimum mm. wage really have an impact on right. that? How much of a causal connection can we talk about when the rest of the city is growing so quickly? So yeah. I, I don't know exactly what to say about it post-pandemic here, but I'm I'm really interested to see what happens with these other cities. Yeah, so hard to say. That's an excellent point. Speaking of Washington State, as we were talking about statewide, because, because the statewide minimum wage in Washington also went up 60 $16.28, higher than any other state, not higher than D.C., Um, so uh, one of the highest minimum wages, I guess second highest in the nation. And since I'm I'm thinking of Washington State, that leads me to our next topic. After we take a break, our state legislature, mostly Democrats, but could some conservative initiatives roll back what lawmakers have done when we come back on Week in Review? Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to support these efforts at PACSci.org. Support comes from Gather Pottery, hosting ceramicist Sarah Anderson, teaching a weekend sgraffito workshop for all levels, May 18th and 19th at Gather Pottery in Interbay. Learn more at gatherpottery.com. You are with KUOW's Week in Review. I'm your host, Bill Radke, with Seattle Channel's Brian Callanan, GeekWire's Mike Lewis, and political analyst Joni Balter, helping you figure out what happened this week. Our legislature got back into session. Both how Yes, Joni? Goes back on Monday. Goes ba- Sorry, goes back on Monday. Both houses are majority Democrat. The governor's a Democrat. They've passed some progressive laws. But wait... We still have some conservative folks in this state, a lot of folks who just don't like to be taxed, particularly if it makes gasoline more expensive. A conservative group has turned in signatures for, the last I checked, five of its six initiatives. Do they get, are they all in now? Yep. Okay. Um, Each one would roll back some kind of progressive legislation. Um, I mentioned, Mike, I mentioned gas prices because I think the initiative with the best chance of becoming law has to do with carbon pollution, climate change, and gasoline. Yeah. Here's something that I don't know if anyone saw today that what, I think it's Washington Policy Center, right? That what Washington's Policy Center posted regarding the ga- the carbon tax. They're a per- conservative, conservative, think, think, conservative tank. think tank. They posted 
uh, Inslee's former chief policy person at a committee meeting about 10 years ago saying that gas prices would probably go up by 40 cents a gallon. If, wow. in fact... Not, as Governor Inslee infamously said, pennies. No, I mean, like, his own staff person said that in a hearing that was on well before this had enough popularity to move through. I'm not sure that, that the market and the content, like, all the other variables could have changed radically. I'm not suggesting that that is necessarily proof that Inslee's wrong. What I'm more saying is that I think that this, that they, if, when they found this, if you don't think this is going to end up in a, in a campaign... Against the uh, carbon tax, oh, yeah. 100% you're going to be seeing this for the next several months. You know how sometimes you hear a public official say a quote, and you know that <laughs> yeah, is know going yeah. to hurt you well, forever? you, you yes. got a B plus on Jenny, the, on the Jenny snowstorm. Jenny Durkin's yeah, uh, right. Summer of Love yes. yeah. and Jay Inslee's Pennies, baby, pennies. You're I saying mean, he, he is, might not win re-election. could not be more right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's a good day for me, actually. Yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, so I, I think we will all agree that that will pass either the – some change will pass either the legislature or with voters next year. And they won't go – whatever gets through, will the legislature will almost certainly say no to and then pass it on to or the they voters. Or might, they might come up with something that says, hey, we got this problem oh, solved. That's I how see. initiatives I see. The Or they can put out a competing measure, too. That, that's yeah, another piece yeah, of it. Right, yeah. that's how those Or work. several. Yeah, but, <laughs> to confuse so people. people. Go, yeah. to confuse uh, people. But, you know, yeah. even though gas prices are down a dollar two since the high in October, this one is a winner. This is going to win with the public. It's, it, you know, it, the, problem, the problem for um, this topic is the planet happens to be burning at the same time. But right. This is real, right in your face today. I'm, I'm unwilling to pay some of the highest gas pr- prices in the country. Yeah, I I get I look at this and see the work that has been going on over the past several years to bring together what's called the Climate Commitment Act, the CCA. The government's been talking about it at the state level for a Maybe long time. Maybe we should tell people what it is if they, everybody doesn't know what how cap and invest works. Can we just very briefly help the listener? I, I can I can help with a little of it. Basically, the major polluters out there are required to put some money into a fund that goes towards helping our climate, and I hope that helps uh, helps. And, and the major polluters also, or the micro polluters, which would be the rest of us. I mean, compared to them, yes, like yeah. all of our gases gas will also you know uh, bear some of that weight true but they pay for the right for an allow for allowances yes. they bid for allowances and those those allowances have been going for higher prices than expected and bringing in billions to the state government. yeah the state has billions more in its projected budget here this year than they thought they would that's that's a very good point here I, I guess I just wanted to bring this up because it's interesting to me to watch how an initiative process that you know over the course of months maybe years here is set to derail something that has been literally decades in the making and this is something where you actually have and I'm I'm not quite sure how people are going to vote on this. I think it's going to be a very heated battle, but I do know in the past, voters have voted against carbon taxes in our state, most recently in 2018. And I'm just interested to see how this coalition of, it was fuel companies, it was environmental groups, it was a lot of groups coming together to support this Climate Commitment Act. How much are they going to be there to protect it when this initiative comes around? I think it'll be a big test. So somewhere, right, somewhere. Tim Iman is feeling serious FOMO right now. Sure. This is absolute shades of Tim Iman. <laughs> yeah. He is just like, why was money, I not using here somebody first? somebody else's money. This is a, this yeah. is a, I'm, I, I'm here for you, listener. Tim Iman uh, ran <laughs> a lot of anti-tax initiatives. All and, of them. Yeah, uh, pretty uh, much. Yes, pretty much all of them. And, 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 there were, and there were none on last year's ballot, which I think was very telling. Tim Iman's out of the picture. Who else is coming in? This group, Let's Go Washington. And yeah. then he also ran for governor in 2020, Tim yeah. Iman. And I'm also here 
hearing that the sponsor of these initiatives, Brian Haywood, not not soon, has designs on the governorship. Oh, boy. Oh, there you okay. go. Okay, having yeah, fun this now? This is a, a wealthy <laughs> businessman from Redmond. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so... There's a lot we could say. I know that the that there are ideas in the legislature to modify this system, maybe uh, allow – I don't know how complicated to get on this, right? right. It's, there's questions about how many uh, – I told you allowance prices are higher than expected. Um, they could maybe m- – change the timeline so that maybe we allow more emissions now, but we still maybe meet our goals later. Maybe we give some money to farmers, different groups that are mad about this. So, yeah, we don't know how this is this is going to go down. Yeah. But but I would say in parallel, though, um, is the capital gains is an initiative to to rescind the capital gains tax. Yeah. That is a strata of the population that is nowhere near as universal as everyone buys gas, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, and all the trucking companies and the farmers and whatnot, I think this one is much <laughs> less likely to succeed because I think it was, I think the state was floored by how much money this raised. And it's oh. raising it from, you know, it, it, we can get, I can get into the specifics of it, but it's raising it from essentially very high income earners, which has always been sort of a sweet spot for the progressives in Washington State. I think this measure is going to go down uh, uh, somewhere, uh, either in the legislature or at the ballot. And the reason is, although there was a poll this week in Crosscut that showed that 57 percent of voters favor this. Well, again, rolling back the capital gains tax. Rolling back the capital gains tax, a Democratic uh, priority. Mm. Um, But the the thought is that um, the fo- it, the poll question did not mention sort of how it works that it favors very wealthy right, people right. and uh, and all you know so I think that once that's explained and that will be explained uh, this will um, not be a popular favors measure. wealthy people meaning it's imposed on wealthy people correct correct yes. yeah and I I think maybe the fear behind it is like oh no we're going to have an income tax you know I think a lot of people might have yes, that knee jerk reaction argument. and that is another measure the, of the yeah. six so far that this group is bringing out saying you know we we want to ban on any sort of state or local income Income taxes. You want to do that? They're talking you about. You think that passes? Uh, Not it, through the it, legislature. It could, it, it, it could. I mean, the legislature. I don't think wants no. to touch that the thing. Voters, but, but they've really tried to separate this idea of capital gains not as income, which is a big, big argument yeah. at the legal level there. And so we'll see what they do. There's that going on. There's this idea of trying to allow kids to opt out of sex ed, the Parents' Bill of Rights, allowing mm-hmm. police more leeway on police on vehicle pursuits. A lot of people were supportive of that in the polls. And then this. Now, idea, what about that one? That, I, that, I, I think oh. a lot of people would support that. The Elway polls cer- certainly uh, seem to think that. Allowing but. police to, to pursue more suspects. Yeah, I think that uh, that, that actually is, is a popular idea. And the reason is, is that what happens when they're not allowed is that nobody stops when they're supposed to stop for driving horribly. And we keep talking about highway and pedestrian uh, deaths. And, you know, you, I don't think you want to hamstring your police that much, but they need to be more careful as well. There's arguments on both sides for this. Yeah. I, I, I think that the idea, it's sort of like everyone's talked about, or there's been many studies about this whole CSI effect and on juries, that they really see much more evidence as sort of sacrosanct as than they did prior to sort of these ideas about, you know, TV, television policing as opposed to real policing. I think police chases have this idea that we should be pursuing these people. And I think that there's a practical application to that as well. However, 
there is that massive cost when you're chasing somebody and putting a bunch of people in a potentially fatal situation for a vehicle. If it is a violent crime, I think they still have the leeway yep, to go ahead and pursue, do. and, and they, st- they can right now. I think the, a cl- little bit more clarity on when they should and shouldn't probably isn't in order. But I think this thing is going to sort of roll us back to a place that I think I don't know that we necessarily want to go. And, and no one wants to vote on nuance, right, Mike? That's that's that's, <laughs> that's the big why challenge. we have a legislature. I will it remind is. you all they're supposed Maybe to deal an in initiative nuance. To- and when you're running initiatives, the question to yourselves is how much of this is going to get through to voters because it because it's in the weeds. Yeah. Oops weeds yeah right but yeah, maybe really you is. and i maybe yeah. all of us can sponsor an initiative to require nuance oh boy <laughs> in, in political discourse there's a lot of nuance to that too. yeah yeah I mean, no, 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 no. there's some no, real no, no. fine details about about that okay so legislative session it begins next week so we can talk about it next week they're gonna the governor's talked about mental health homelessness public safety fentanyl addiction we've got this issue of the state transportation plan costs ballooning and what are we going to do about that so more to come on those topics. Uh, Joni, I think, mentioned, uh, underlined the use of the word weed because we've got here in a new year, we got new state laws, including a gun buyer needing to pass a background check now and then wait 10 business days to get the gun and take a gun safety course within five years. We've got a law about hospitals having to form staffing committees to account for their nurse-to-patient ratio. We've got voters in Tacoma and Bellingham um, uh, protecting renters in some ways. We've got tougher penalties for street racing. And coming to the weed now, uh, (laughs) coming to the bud of it, uh, Mm. employers are no longer allowed to test for cannabis when they make hiring decisions. Yeah. I, I thought this was a very interesting one because this is Senate Bill 5123, which passed in this last session here. Thank you for the bill number. Yeah. It's, Appreciate it's, that. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, important to, it's important to throw it out there because uh, we're looking at this issue. And basically, you know, we as a state passed the legal use of recreational cannabis in 2012. And here we are 11 years later where employers are still using this test for non-psychoactive cannabis metabolites, which basically get in your system. They can stay there for weeks, and it's like, oh, this is in your system, and we can't hire you when it's like, wait a minute, this is something that happened away from the job or whatever else. I know there's a lot of different discussion about this, but I think this is basically the state catching up to other states who have figured out a way to try to make sure that weed is not just legal. They don't get penal- People don't get penalized for it if they use it off the job. You know, I think this is really simple, and I've covered a lot of the marijuana stories for different outlets here. You know, unless you have a job that endangers other people, we're talking law enforcement, fire, airline work, or and something like that. those exemptions are, are Those exemptions right. are built Fe- federal in. Federal employees, too, because it's still federal, federally illegal. Exactly. Yep. You should not have to face drug testing. This invades your, your privacy. Um, and and I'll, I'll point out here that this issue wins both the right and the left. The right doesn't like government intrusion, and the left doesn't like corporate intrusion. So you can see why this is a popular— And even the small group of libertarians yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it as well. Oh, well, the marijuana measure passed 56% in yeah. 2012. Yeah. Do and, employers think that, that their top performers are uh, cannabis users or not cannabis users? Ooh, boy. I think it depends on the employer, probably. It depends on, if A, if they tested, and B— like you said. Well, and I mean, I, I will. This does not prevent employers from testing workers if they have an accident with a vehicle that's used for work, let's right. say. It's right. Something along those lines. They can do those tests. It's something about that entry into the system there and saying, hey, the, you used, there's evidence here that you used uh, marijuana a week ago or something along those lines. That should not prevent people from getting employment, is what they're trying to say with this. Yeah. And do we know if the testing, because the testing used to be very 
rudimentary. Like that, that to your to your point exactly. Like, can you tell if they were actually on? marijuana then or that they maybe smoked a joint two days earlier it is it is not great i will say that the tests that they have blood tests are actually the best way to determine that but there really isn't a bright line there either mike because you look at this and i remember this debate in 2012 when this was going on a lot of medical users were saying you know what I would be, quote unquote, high all the time if you tested me right now, but I've been using this product for so long that it doesn't impair me, et cetera. So it, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I, I just don't think there's a really good bright line test like we have with alcohol out there, and it makes it right. really difficult. All right. Shall we pause and then come back and then whip through some stories that we have? We, we're not going to be able to discuss in full, but some other interesting things happened this week that you might react to. And uh, and maybe we'll make listeners jump through a turnstile in order to hear the rest of the show. We'll Love see it. about that. Yeah, uh, light rail and more coming up on Weekend Review. KUAW's Week in Review this week means. GeekWire's Mike Lewis and Seattle Channel's Brian Callanan, columnist Joni Balter. Hello on YouTube. If you're there, you can live stream the show. My name is Bill Radke. I host it. And so I'll give you a few things that we haven't uh, had a chance to discuss yet. But some quick hits. Uh, Three people experiencing homelessness in Burien are suing the city for its ban on public camping. Burien prohibits people from sleeping or resting on public property overnight. It's a misdemeanor. This lawsuit says that's an unconstitutional ban, criminalizes homelessness, and says the city's granting police open discretion to arrest homeless people without clear guidelines. Burien's got more homeless people than shelter options, so we'll keep watching that one. Also, health officials say few people are getting vaccinated despite flu and COVID cases climbing. About one in five people in King County up to date on COVID boosters. One in three have a flu shot. I would think King County is more vaxxed than most other counties, except maybe San Juan. I don't know. But we're just not into it. Did you get yours? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I'm all boosted up. Me too. I did three in one day. (laughs) Yeah? I did the... Two in one day. I did flu, COVID, and the shingles one. Oh, oh I would, the last I would one was not, the bad idea. I would not recommend. Do this. not hug Mike to today. Right. Yeah. This was a while ago. Yeah. But I just recovered. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Welcome. Okay. That's good. Uh, Amazon's last standalone fresh pickup store closed, where you order groceries online, drive to the pickup spot. It was there was one by Starbucks headquarters, and um, they're they're out of that. They've still got the Amazon fresh grocery stores. Um, they're just getting out of physical stores. You know, they've just, they've got the Amazon Fresh and they got the Go convenience stores. Got out of the clothing store. They got out of the clothing business. Bookstore. Bookstore. Yep. Yep. They Uh, like to change a lot. They, mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to whole fail fast adopt business. a whole bunch of businesses, <laughs> and then they retreat. Here's a business making a change. Starbucks is letting you use your own cup in the drive-thru and on mobile orders, not just in the store. Uh, they say it'll decrease waste. At the drive-thru, you tell the speaker you've got your own cup, you get a 10-cent discount. So the key word in this is they said, please, please bring your clean Cups. Yeah, yeah, clean is the word. So I can just imagine. This is, reminds me of grocery bags that you bring your own. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what what are they going to do when people send in? You know, not so clean. Are they going to sit there and wash it or reject it? How's that going to work? For anyone who stays at a low level of anger about Starbucks drive-through lines, just <laughs> getting around them because mm. they block streets all over, like all of bus lanes. It doesn't matter because people will not just park 
and mm-hmm. walk in yeah. to a clear counter and order their coffee. They stay in their cars. Understood. This thing, adding that on, when people start handing them these, yes. these cups that have been in their car for, I don't know, since the, since the Clinton administration, and they're giving them... Ugh, I mean, this uh, this thing that that is the bane of my existence is going to get worse. I'm kind of excited because now I'll be able to pay $6.39 for my drink (laughs) rather than $6.49. So I I think that's a big step. Okay, December was very warm uh, in in Seattle, 45.5 degrees daily average. Beating the old record was 45.3. Snowpack um, is, is low right now, record lows. And, you know, that, that matters, that, that holds that water. Uh, we are supposed to get, um, and we're expecting a, 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 not much precipitation, not much snow this winter, although this week looks like the, we're going to get a dumping in the mountains. Here's hoping. We yeah. need that. Yeah. Uh, State Ferry is finally admitting it. Doesn't know when it's going to be full schedule. Uh, they don't have enough boats. The boats are going to take years. Some runs are just going to be down a boat for a long time. Staffing shortages, aging fleet. So I took a look this morning at the state Washington State Ferries website and looked at ferry job listings. Uh-huh. Take a, I'd like a, just a quick survey. How many job listings do you think that the ferry system has right now on its website? Bill? Uh, 20. More than 100? A lot. <laughs> Four. Four. What? What? Four jobs listed. So I contacted the Washington, and this is going to be ongoing, I contacted the Washington State Ferry System, and they gave me a fairly elaborate multi-tweet explanation as to why, <laughs> from a recruitment standpoint, this is important. It doesn't didn't make – I'm not saying that they're wrong, and I'm not saying they're not giving me an honest answer. I'm saying that it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Essentially, it's we can't pull staff away from their jobs to train people mm. because we don't have enough staff to train people. <laughs> oh, right. like, like, oh, and it was this thing that you could – oh, And, and oh, once I started getting dizzy, I, knew, I realized I had to get down to the show, so I just like put it aside. But nonetheless, they're right now, if you were to log in – Four. They're, and they're looking for a new head of the Washington State Ferry System because so Patty that would Ripstello, be five, right? Right. <laughs> tack it up. Patty Ripstello is, is that's says probably she's on a different down. site. I, I, I would guess, but yeah. I don't know. Anyway, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Keep. Well, let's keep yeah, following yeah, I'm that. Follow that yeah. up. All right. Um, and uh, before we get to uh, Fairgates, Fairgate, <laughs> um, you were Brian. You you uh, pointed out. I think this is the Seattle Times story about yeah. Seattle could see its first conversion of a full office building into housing yeah. since the pandemic, and that's not easy to do. That it's not. It's in the uptown neighborhoods. So we're not talking about downtown proper here, but this is a several story office building that they're talking about converting into units. And I thought it was interesting for a lot of different reasons because yes, it is expensive to do this, and it has to pencil out as it does with every business. But this was the cost of this building was a certain cost before the pandemic. It's actually lowered since the pandemic. And so the time is right, I guess. And, and that's that was interesting to me about it. It's, it's super interesting. The problem in Seattle that we have right now is that it's very, very modern skyscrapers are, are not impossible, but nearly impossible to convert from and make make it make financial right. and this sense. is a smaller building right what what we did during that giant boom was tear down all of the old old office buildings the way the plumbing and electrical is routed make it very easy to compartmentalize them mm. look at the smith tower very compartmentalized building old buildings were like that new ones oh. are open open so they have the two you we've all done it every time you go on a new skyscraper there's the two big sets of restrooms right in the center of the building near the elevator shaft mm. and then the offices tend to ring that yeah that is actually a Great structure for a, for a skyscraper, terrible for residential housing. You talk to the people who designed this, they say that the, the whole idea of massive conversion isn't going to happen. But if we can save these old buildings, yeah. mm. they actually are, are laid out in a way that make them much – they're not easy, but they're much easier. Right. It's finding these Very naturally affordable yeah. pieces out there. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. I'm glad I brought up those little quick hits and then you learn so much, right? 
Um, okay, let's go to Sound Transit considering building gates that you'd have to pass through with proof of payment before you could ride the light rail. These are different from turnstiles. Well, they're they're blocks to people who don't who yeah. don't pay. So yeah, uh, there are clearly many cities in the country when this. It's not uh, a giant gate that's going to come up and down for I don't every. Think we know what it looks like it's because it's, it's, sure it's going to be cost yeah. um, dependent, <laughs> like, like a medieval castle, right? <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> the so many cities yeah, who right. built light rail, they decided because it's cheaper to build not to have the turnstiles to to have fare yeah. enforcement another way. And if you go back in time on this, that's when something like ninety five percent of riders would pay the fare. Now mm. it's about 55%, a little bit of give there because you, youth get to ride free. Mm. But before they do this, they're going to have to weigh the benefit, the cost. How much does it cost to put these in all the stations? And how, how much fare would they recover yeah. from yeah. that? That's, that's going to be the calculation. And also, some people view the turnstiles as a sort of security component. So I think one more question to ask there is how much, how many people are um, not Riding sound transit, who would come and pay fares? Good point. Uh, if there was, if it, if it felt safer. From I think in, in Vancouver, BC, where they didn't, and then they now they do. Mm-hmm. They said the the stats, the stats there were that it got say it got less, fewer incidents once they put a fare, an actual enforceable fare, but with a gate system in place. Yeah, meaning and, meaning someone who's likely to cause trouble is is also wasn't going to pay. Well, I guess and that's so the theory. Gonna, that does appear to be the theory. But the idea is like so they're so they're paying attention here. People yeah. aren't just boarding. They're mm. they're boarding because they paid to go somewhere. I think a lot more people are not paying, though, than these people who might be troublemakers, et cetera. And this is a big part of it. If you go back really ancient history, I guess seven years or eight years isn't that far. But mm. when Sound Transit was approved by voters in 2016, there was an understanding that, OK, we we're going to retrieve or recover a certain amount of money from the fare boxes to help yes, pay for this right. system. And yeah. this is a big part of it. So the most recent report from 2022 showed that with Link Light Rail especially – that they basically brought in enough fares to cover 16% of their operating costs. They actually told voters, hey, we're going to get 40%, right? right. So that's a big, big loss there. It's actually all across the board when it comes to their buses, when it comes to Link Light Rail, when it comes to Sounder here. But it's really most apparent with Link. And so I think they're trying to bring it up because this is what they said to voters. We're going to recover a certain amount from the fare boxes, and they're not doing it. And it's going to give everyone a chance. Anyone who's ever spent any time in, in Paris and watched how adept people leap the metro gates. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I right. mean, they move it without even breaking stride. They just broad, like slide jumpers. And I got to say, I got to say that's going to get a chance school. for locals to work on their gate jumping mm. capacity because that's what's going to start happening. <laughs> well, not. of course, they could just make it free if we would tax ourselves more. Just if we're not it. taxed enough for sound transit, are you kidding me? It's very expensive. Yeah. yeah well, if people aren't paying it, if part of the problem is that you feel that you need to have everybody obeying the rules. Yeah. You know, you need to yeah. have like I'm, I paid, and right. you don't, you and you don't pay. Right. So there are a couple ways. There, there's you could spend a lot of money trying to get people to pay, or you could tax everybody. Who was it that was com- make it free? That was complaining about that they couldn't stand the idea of people paying seventeen dollars. For a beer, yeah, oh, at a game, right. Peter Rogoff, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter Rogoff, that's what I'm saying that, and, and won't pay, t- and won't pay two dollars and fifty cents to ride this, the, yeah, yeah. And I guess rail. to your point, Bill, there are a number of different transit agencies, not Sound Transit, but they are making transit free around the state of Washington. There are some places out on the Washington coast that are doing that, and so it's an interesting concept. But again, how much do we want to tax ourselves to make that happen? That's a very good point you yeah. made too, Joni.
Do you get the feeling that a place like New York City is so crowded you are willing to pay for the subway because you need it to get around? You don't want a car. In the Puget Sound area, it still feels more like you're doing everyone a favor mm. by taking transit. That's Ooh. the same like the attitude it's a people. Thing. people it's, yeah, it's like, in the don't make me pay sure. on top but, of it. But yeah. I do think that the, that there's a component uh, from Seattle's transportation master plan that is that there's not a big concern about bringing additional pain to drivers. I mean, that's the way you get people on mass transit. There's no two ways. San Francisco went through the same thing. Seattle is going through that right now. They've stopped putting requiring parking in apartment complexes to right. get more apartment. Yeah. Co- I mean, we're this is not going to get easier. This is just going to get harder in this town from a car standpoint. And there's more awareness of climate change, you know, the, the climate role, and people are like, well, you want me off the road, right? Then there's the question of electric vehicles, that sort of place. I'm curious whether we don't have enough electric vehicles to be affecting um, like gas prices or people's willingness to put up with higher gas prices, right? We're, well, they're coming on, yet. but they're coming on. They're a small percentage right yeah. now, so yeah. they're coming on slowly. Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. Um, one more thing and then a smile, which is that the state government's giving out $40 million bucks it got from chicken and tuna companies. These companies settled a lawsuit over price fixing. Uh, the state's only giving that money to people who make under a certain income, which some people object to because they say, well, all of us overpaid for chicken and tuna if we bought it. We're all scam victims. That's our money. We all deserve to get back no matter what our income is. Uh, anyway, um, and then there's, a, then there's more questions about how this money's getting paid. Yeah, so I, I have to tell you that there's a, a mini scandal around this because the checks went out and um, to these to these 400,000 people, uh, low income, and folks were really complaining that Bob Ferguson's name was on the checks. It is on the checks as a printed thing. This is from, you know, the attorney general's office. But this whole thing about it... Uh, Bob Ferguson signing it is kind of a fake scandal in my mind, really. Like, you know, uh, he signs a letter explaining it, as does everybody else that's sending stimulus checks or any other kinds of these checks. Want to explain it's change, not a scam. They right. have to explain it's not a scam. So, yeah. of the calls that come into the attorney general's office since these checks have been um, sent, you know, people are asking, "Should I cash this? Is, is this real? Or is it okay if I do this?" I would, but I would also say, I mean, to the extent that Bob wants to take, Bob is running for governor, uh, and wants to take credit for that's what you do as a political player. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the stimulus tests during the Trump administration were signed by you know Donald Trump. So, so I get it, or the tax rebates, I think it were. Uh, I get stimulus. Ferguson wanting to claim he put a, he did put a letter, made sure it was prominent, and that 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 letter was like, hey, his here's who you thank for this. But I would also say that that's kind of what you do if you're in office. If the crime yeah. rate drops. Is the mayor going to claim credit for this? Right. Of course. That, that's, that's kind of what you do. I think the bigger problem with that was, was the database for, yeah. for who they – because a lot of these letters went to people who don't actually exist on this planet anymore. But that's and, true of every time. And but, but I'm not excusing it at any time, yeah. Johnny. We, I mean like literally got every one, time – one minute of the show yeah. left. You go with a bad database, you go with a bad database. Yeah. Okay. Uh, something to smile about. Um, Joni, I know you, 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 you just said two words. Endorphin high. Oh, I thought it was going to be go dogs. <laughs> oh, okay, go okay. dogs. That works too. Um, and 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 I wanted to add to that that there's a Twitter account now called an X account called Mount St Helens Wa, 
And it's oh, not that one is wonderful. It's not really the mountain tweeting. It's somebody calling themselves <laughs> yeah. a mountain. It's and pretty it's, funny. It's been trolling Michigan fans. Uh, you know what's weak? A state with no volcanoes. Michigan's one of those states. <laughs> and the Detroit Free Press replied, "Okay, now do Great Lakes because they have great, great <laughs> awesome. lakes and we don't." And the Mount St. Helens uh, account replied. Ask Spirit Lake how that turned out, <laughs> which is the lake that got obliterated by volcanic ash from St. Helens. It is. I've been following this one for a couple of years now. Yeah, it is really funny. Yeah. It, it makes fun of other mountains in other states yes. as well. Yes. Also, some bad, dumb, juvenile, tasteless yes, jokes yes, yeah, in yeah, there. That's but a, that's, no uh, that's a given. Okay, I, I got time to just say goodbye and Happy New Year and thank you to political analyst and contributing columnist Joni Balter, GeekWire contributing editor Mike Lewis, Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callanan. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Great, Great to see you. Great way to start the year. Uh, thank you to producer Kevin Kniestet. Bernard Ouellette running the board, and we got to go. I'm Bill Radke. We'll do this again. We can review next week. <laughs>